0: It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia on a Monday afternoon in Fishtown, where it is uh, beautiful and sunny outside. Kevin Kincaid coming at she Got Baxter the dog in here. My daughter Cameron uh, is downstairs uh, somewhere. I think she's asleep, but maybe we'll get her uh, on the microphone a little bit later so she can make her Always Soccer debut. Maybe she'll do some goo goo gaga for us. Uh, also making uh, a always soccer in philadelphia podcast debut is the one and only peter andrews from the philly soccer page joining us from denver peter how are you my man
1: i'm very good kevin thanks for having me on and uh, let me be the first guest to congratulate you on your daughter's birth That's, i appreciate uh, that news.
0: i appreciate that man i do it's uh, i've been up uh, at like 3 30 in the morning uh, so far <laughs> So we're doing like uh we we got like a split shift going here. My wife will stay up until like 3 3:30 3. in the morning and then I'll wake up. Uh I'll do the second shift. But you know what the craziest thing about it is that I feel like I'm just doing television news again. It's like it's like eyewitness news all over again. I'm up in the middle of the night, but all I have to do is feed my daughter. I don't have to actually produce a TV show.
1: Yeah, you've got the uh, perfect career background for this challenge. <laughs>
0: Yeah, all the hell and all the bullshit from being up and doing show after show after show and all the traffic and all the weather and all the car accidents in the world, I now know that it was just to prepare me for being a father. So there you go. Um, all right, but more on the more important things now. More importantly. Right, the,
1: real, the really serious business. The, at
0: hand. Yeah, the real serious business, the things that really matter in life. Your Philadelphia Union, uh, third place in the Eastern Conference. Uh, after what I thought was a solid draw in Vancouver, I mean look any time you you fly all the way out there and you get something out of it, I think you got to be happy with it. Um, that was my takeaway was that your takeaway as well?
1: Yeah I mean I was uh you know they allow that late first half goal um, what I thought was sort of against the run of play cause I thought they had the majority of the, the ball if not the best chances in the first half you know they get that run run of play goal. A lot of times for the Union, that's sort of a killer. They didn't really look like they were gonna come back into it in the second half, and then you get that that equalizing goal off the uh, the turnover forced by Montero, gets it to Brisbane, Uh really good first time finish. And even then, I <laughs> I gotta say, I thought the Whitecaps were gonna uh, get the get the game winner there, but good job by the Union to to prevent that from happening. And yeah, I think you take a point in Vancouver. In this situation, missing as many players as they do because of injury and red cards and such, I think
0: you take that, you know. Yeah, that, I mean, uh, you know, and look, I, they they really didn't give you know Vancouver squander a lot of chances. They have a lot of like nice like like good little attacking pieces there, but none of them can finish. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like they haven't. Yeah,
1: no, there's a lot of like. Uh, brief moments of danger and then the ball just like balloons into the 10th row
0: <laughs> yeah they all look like it's like they have three of the same players playing up top which is crazy but uh they're all like clones of one another but you know i, th- I thought defensively like for being what it was with having Mbizo in there and with having gaddis have to come back over on the left uh madunian and you know it's not going to help you out defensively I-, I think all that said they were they were solid enough defensively and really with you know they give up that set piece goal. I I don't know what you see out of Austin Trusty, but I I I feel like he just needs to be a little bit more, you know, you look at the, at the goals, uh, the goal he, uh, that Zlatan scored, uh, a week prior where he sort of climbed over him a little bit, but Trusty probably could have went up a lot stronger. I just feel like Austin has to be a little bit nastier. You know, he's got to be a little bit more handsy, uh, dealing with those big guys. And I think it's probably something that comes with time. You know, veterans know how to Use their arms and leverage themselves, and and do things that you that you where you learn what you can get away with, and um, I, I don't think Austin's there just yet, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because I think his real key is undeniably a skilled athlete who's really good at the recovery tackle. I mean, he's made some of the best recovery tackles that I've ever seen a union player make. Yeah, um, yeah. Smooth on the ball. You know, he's got a lot of advantages, but I, I do think that aerial game and that physical game is missing in terms of, you know, yeah, he's getting bodied by bigger guys. He's losing his guy in the pick, sort of pick play there. Yeah. Um, that that lets Henry get open for the header. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that might need to be the, the next step forward. Maybe this is why you had a rallying Colin on your team is to, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: teach one of the him
0: some bullshit.
1: Least, least nice guys in MLS, I would
0: say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and the goal, too, uh, you know, Shabilko, I guess, is how he say, says it and how JP was saying it. I
1: was at the soft off like ass at the beginning
0: yeah you know and i wasn't sure because i heard jp say it that way at first and then um yeah i was listening to them do their introductions uh you know where they come in and say kevin kincaid fishtown um you know and and he comes on and he says like Shabilko, uh and i rewound it like three times and that's what i thought i heard him say so we're gonna go with that I'm um, good. You know, I didn't. I didn't think he was playing that well before the goal, and uh, I honestly no. thought they were gonna take. I thought Jim was gonna take him off. Um, but yeah, it was a great finish, a great low finish. But you know, with that that play, it's the secondary pressure. You know, I guess Montero was the first guy, and the second guy was God. I can't even remember. Um, was it Pico? Geez, I can't. Re- I can't even remember. Yeah. Either. but you know it, it's it's that's that's how that's what pressing is all about it's turning defense into offense and and it always it always bothers me when you go in and you make a good challenge and you make a guy uncomfortable and you kind of jar the ball loose and the second guy isn't there um right. to, to help you out but I think that's what they did really well on that play was sort of that combo effort and then the follow-up that poked the ball through uh and then Shibilka was on his way
1: yeah and I think what's interesting too is um, obviously, I don't. Well, maybe not obviously. I don't watch Bethlehem Steel because I have a limited number of hours in my life.
0: Yeah, you and me
2: both, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so I, I, I don't really know, or didn't know until this game. You know what kind of a player Shabilko is. He's so big, you would think of him as more of a guy in the box who's going to get headers on it. Um, he's impressively smooth. He's got a little bit of speed. The finish was really good. Um, I thought that was. You know, the Union strikers are kind of a grab bag of, you know, you need someone to get hot at the right time. And if he can give you five goals this year, I mean, you're probably taking that. I mean, I agree with you that he really could not find the game early. But it's a sign of a good striker if you you can affect the game, you can affect the game, and then you take your one chance. I mean, that's in some ways just as good as a guy who – is uh, touching the ball constantly. Takes ten shots, and not a single one's on frame. Right?
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna ask you the same question that I think I've asked everybody since this season started. And like at the at the at the risk of beating a dead horse here, like I, I ask the question all the time because it's still like probably the biggest topic uh, on the roster this year. And and that's trying to trying to figure out who the top two strikers are. Um, so let's put it in a vacuum and say everybody's healthy and you have a full choice of Burke, Santos, Acom, Pico, uh, and Shibelko, uh, who's, who's, if you can pick two out of those guys, who are, who's in your starting lineup right now?
1: Well, I mean, it feels like Santos is the guy I would pick just because I haven't seen him and therefore he can't disappoint me necessarily. Um, yeah. you know, I they clearly are committed to him because they paid a transfer fee. Um, I I liked some of the moments I've seen for him in the highlights for Steel and in the, the games he's played, but the injuries are a real problem. So let's put him aside because I don't think you can I don't think I can safely say I wanna pick him. Yeah. And I think you have to put Prisbilko uh, Shiboko aside for the same reason, you know, just have not seen enough. So then the question is, okay, I think Corey Burke probably has to be one of those two guys. He doesn't always convince me, uh, and I I don't necessarily think he's a, you know, start in 34 games and he'll get you 20 goals MLS striker, like no way. But he's probably your best option alongside – I still have to say Pico – it drives me crazy to watch Pico try to finish and he just misses like shot after shot and he can't even get the simplest touches on the ball in the box but he's at least active in games in a way that David Accomp isn't Hmm. and I do wonder how much of his you know I just praise someone who, who converts the majority of their chances but yeah
0: God, there was just so little of it. Like I was really disappointed yeah. because I wanted to see more of it, you know? Yeah. And uh, like the number one question that I was getting on the podcast week after week after week was, you know, how do you, how do you put four guys in the diamond when you really have five? You know, because everybody was like Montero, Aronson, uh, Fabian, how do you do it? I was like, well, the, you know, one way they can do it is to play Fabian up top, you know? Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like he's not even getting enough touches when he plays as a number 10 you know? Yeah. So I don't know yeah, if that's like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's solving the issue. It's solving the problem of getting five guys into four spots, you know, by making one of them a striker, but I don't know if it's getting him more touches on the ball and to, and to advance that idea. Um, I don't know if you saw this as well, but when Montero plays as a shuttler, he's dropping back a little bit deeper and he likes to get involved in the buildup play. Um, and you saw that where he was coming back, and it almost looked like a double pivot at times with him standing next to Medunian in or wanting to receive the ball from Medunion in and be that second level uh, beyond the defensive midfielder. Um, and because of that, that kind of squeezes the space for the net, for the guys in front of him. Whereas, and I'm trying to explain this the best I can or else this is terrible podcasting, right? I'm trying to trying to do a visual medium on a non, non-visual thing here. Um, but now when you had like Bedoya and Aronson in there, for example, they like to push really high. And so what that does is that like Fabian actually then drops deep to get the ball. So it's two kind of different ways how they build up when Montero's in the game. Um, I think I still like Fabian as a 10. I'm not as high on Aronson as everybody else is. Um,
1: Yeah. I, I I actually, I, you and I might be the only two people who were in the let's not go crazy with Aronson, particularly like this guy is, Guy, I mean, is generous. He's a boy. He's eighteen years old. He's—you cannot start him thirty games this season. Like I,
2: yeah, yeah, I'm,
1: I'm worried that they're going to run him into the ground in the way that the union have had a lot of guys who've shown a lot of potential in their first year and then have never hit that peak again.
0: Well, part of it too is that I, I feel like we, the media, uh, because we're, there's such a like a thirst to to have good american players good natural homegrown american players that i feel like we push these guys whether they deserve it or not and i'm not saying that brendan aronson's a bad player because he's not i think he's a good player i just think we we do ourselves a disservice when um you know i read some breakdowns and i look at some stuff on mlssoccer.com it's like anytime a young american player like farts you know they get a a a thousand words about it you know and it's not it's not if it's warranted it's warranted but if Paxton Pomichal makes a really good outlet pass to the left, like that, that doesn't mean that he's the next coming of Messi. You know what I mean? Like I think yeah. that we kind of elevate these guys because we want to see it and we have a des- desire to see good American talent come through. But I don't, I don't want us to like burn ourselves out and burn these kids out and burn these coaches out by, by heaping this praise on them after one or two games and then we're sitting here like a Derek Jones situation a couple years later and saying, well, what the hell?
1: Yeah, I mean, you, there are sort of um, two other young players for the Union this year who are in that same space, a little bit more of a second-year problem. But you know, Mark McKenzie has played 15 minutes this year after yeah. getting the, you know, Mark McKenzie's the next player in Europe,
0: and he's I'm losing out to a fourth, he's losing out to a fourth, a fourth-round draft pick,
1: right? You know, and then you've got then you've got Matt Real, who's the, you know, captain of the US U20 national team, who can't beat out Ray Gaddis in the wrong position yes on uh, yes. the left side there I mean I thought that was the most interesting lineup decision of
0: yeah thank the you one. for pointing that thank you for pointing that out man because I, I don't that that says a lot to me not only that they'd prefer one player over the other but that they'd rather put a player on his wrong foot instead of a young player on his natural foot on that side
1: yeah I mean I don't know whether it's a question of you know you don't want to Put the you could make an argument that it's you don't want to put the young player in like a position on a road game like that against a dangerous guy on the other wing. But I think it's more a combination of two things. One is it's obvious that uh, Ray Gaddis is the coaching staff's favorite player. Yeah. for Reasons that you know he does some he does some things well. He's reliable, but he's not a game changer. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing is I just don't think they're very high. They're not impressed with Real. I don't think he. I think he got injured a little bit in preseason. I don't think he had a good preseason. And uh, for whatever reason, he's not impressing the coaches right
2: now. Yeah. Um,
0: all right. So we got a crunched schedule this week. They play Wednesday yeah. and then they play Saturday again. Both games are at home. So let's do uh, I always like to do an exercise on the podcast where we, a, a little mental exercise here where we work. It was
1: promised that there would be no mental exercise.
0: <laughs> well, we try. It's not that complicated. It's a very like, it's like a warm up mental exercise. Um, right. It's a very linear exercise. So, all right, let, let's build a team for Wednesday. Um, goalkeeper, you going with Freeze again?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what you're getting. I don't know why you have Cornell on the team if, if you think Freeze is the backup keeper, but... Yeah. You know, if you
0: think Freeze is a backup keeper, he should play. Well, yeah, it's like, why are you going and getting a foreign guy if the homegrown American guy was good enough to play in the first place, which is why I never understood why MLS teams had this fascination with foreign goalkeepers, because I've always said it's been the one position that we produce really well here at home.
1: Yeah, and the union's record in bringing in goalkeepers from abroad, even setting aside the obvious race and bully. I mean, uh, do you remember Matt Jones, who was a similar one year <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Well, and he had good. He, was, he had he was pretty good at, at uh, Bell Belinowski when he was out there, you know. So I don't. That was, a, was always he was strange. A
1: complete disaster in his one game with the. Yeah. I
0: know, I know. It was strange, man. I always found that to be a really intriguing signing, and then he was like a like a no hit wonder over here. Um, yeah. Okay, so left back, we're both going with Wagner off of suspension.
1: Yeah, I think Wagner's back.
0: Ray Gattis at right back. Yep. Uh, who's so, th-
1: I, so I'll say, I think Embaydo showed enough that he deserves a start. You know, one thing that um, earlier this year in the preseason media call, uh, Jim Curtin said that Mbiza reminds him of Oyongo and was heaping him with praise. And I tweeted, you know, this is going to be funny to look back on when Ray Gaddis makes 20 starts this season. And <laughs> we're nine games in and Ray Gattis has I know. nine
0: starts. It's just, I'm, I'm, well, uh, I'm glad you're on the so same I- same side of the Ray Gaddis thing as I am. Because... <laughs> And I need to, like, I need to reiterate, I feel like I need to read, like, I I don't, I don't dislike Ray as a player. Like, I want people to understand that. I just, you know, we're evaluating him now as the, the team's franchise minutes and appearances leader. Okay. And a guy like Ray Gaddis, quite frankly, should not be this franchise's, any franchise's minutes or appearances leader. Okay. Now that's not to say that he's not a good player because I think he's a solid player. He had a really good, really good goal line clearance the other day, um, but but you can do much better than a solid utility guy. And you know, all you have to do to answer that question is think about how many teams Ray Gattis would start for around MLS. You know, it's it's not, not it's really not, not many. You know, um,
1: so I would I would actually give so I'd give Mbazo the midweek start and then you can bring right back for the weekend.
0: First Saturday, okay. So center backs, are you doing anything with the center backs?
1: I don't think McKenzie's healthy, so I think you stick with uh, Trusty and Elliot. Elliott. Yeah.
0: Medunian, um, you think his legs are good for Wednesday?
1: I Whether his legs are good or not, he's going to play. So, uh, <laughs> Right answer. <laughs> it is, it, 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 it's, it's baffling to me a little bit that they have a 34-year-old defensive midfielder who's played pretty much every meaningful minute for two and a half years. Yeah. Um, and there's not a single sign of taking him out. I mean, I get... You know, he hasn't had any injuries, and I get how much they rely on him, but uh, you would think that this midweek would not be a bad chance to maybe try Montero at the 6. I suppose
2: yeah. they're going to they're
0: play it. But Well, the nice thing about when you don't do any transitional defensive running is that you're always fresh for the next game. You know? So maybe that maybe that's why he doesn't play any defense, because he's just trying to prolong his career, you know. Um, yeah. do you, Are you playing Montero and Bedoya? If, if Medunian plays the 6, are you doing Bedoya and Montero again?
1: I think that is the most solid part of the team by far.
0: Aronson, is he your 10?
1: Yeah, because I don't think Fabian's healthy. Um, I think they they keep Aronson and hope Fabian's ready for Saturday.
0: Yeah, they don't really have anybody else. And then, so are you going to go, if Corey Burke is back from whatever personal thing that was, are you playing playing your guys, uh, Burke and Pico up top?
1: Yeah, I think... I think Curtin might be tempted to go with Prisbilko because, oh man, that is hard to remember. Um, just because he's historically a big hot hand guy. Um, that being said, I think, you know, you've got a fresh Corey Burke and a 30 minutes played Pico. I'd give those to the midweek game, and
0: then, you know, then you take Saturday when it comes. All right. I only got two more questions for you, Peter. Um, Alejandro Bedoya was bitching about the charter flight thing again. Yeah. And, yeah. um, I 100% agree with him, obviously. I mean, I think anybody uh, in their right mind would say, yes, anything that we can do to help our athletes and to grow the profile of MLS and make us look like a big boy league and, and move this thing forward. Um, I don't think anybody would be against that. You know what I mean? So I, I guess the question that I would ask you is, like when they go to sit down for collective bargaining, which is coming up soon, uh, if, you, if you're a player – where do you think that would be a priority for you? Like, is 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 add, adding more free agency, expanding free agency, a bigger deal than charter flights, or or do you do you think this is one of the top issues that they think about all the time?
1: It, yeah, it's interesting on a couple of for a couple of different uh, levels. One of which is, you know, I've been based out in California now in Colorado for the last couple of years, so I've gotten a bit more of an appreciation of how big. This particular country is. Uh, yeah. I mean, I got to the Kansas City game by driving uh, eight hours each way in a weekend, which I don't recommend. So, in case any of you were dying to drive from Denver to Kansas City, there's
2: not a
0: lot uh, to see on that drive either.
1: No, once you get once you get out of Denver, it's sort of uh, flat until you get.
0: Yeah, it's pretty flat. Yeah.
1: But so, I do think the travel. It's funny when it's the you know the East Coast teams complain because they have. You know, they make these two big cross-country flights a year, and then they're—it's so out of the ordinary for them. You think about a team like Colorado that basically has to fly to every single road game. Yeah. Um, for the West Coast teams, I think the charters are are certainly important, and I think it's weird. You know, I, I don't necessarily want to comment in too much detail about the collective bargaining. It is interesting to me that there are restrictions. So that you know, a team that has the money can't even pay for extra charters. Yeah, I do think you know Seattle and, and uh, Atlanta at least would want to. But then I you know I don't know if you're looking at collective bargaining broadly, you have to think about uh, what's going to get. I think a bigger issue for the players will be how to divide the pie of money in MLS, yeah. where either that pie's getting bigger or the pie is a bigger share of it's going to them. And I don't think charter flights necessarily are a big share of the pie.
0: No, because I, I think... think I not
1: that important, but I also think, you know, it's been it's been a while since the last CBA. I think it's entirely possible that getting more charter flights won't require a huge concession from the union, if that makes
0: sense. Yeah, I just think the last time around, and I don't want to go too deep down the rabbit hole in this, but I think the last time around they the players... Uh, conceded way too easily. I mean, because MLS was growing, you had a ton of expansion, new teams coming in. They could have threatened to strike to get a lot more. But instead, they settled for, like, entry-level free agency, hoping that they could expand it in the future. And, like, again, like you say, you know, if if you're looking for – uh, better like benefits or, you know, a salary floor to come up a little bit higher, more free, free agency, picking where you want to play. Like, I think that's going to trump charter flights. I think T I think players would be willing to say, look, if you're going to let me choose at age 25, what team I want to go play for, uh, and give us more rights, uh, contractually, then I'll, I'll be willing to sit on the, the crappy commercial flight. You know, if I can get 50,000 more dollars a year, You know, in in my personal bank account. So yeah, I think that's where I sit with that. But but it's good to have guys like Bedoya say that because, you know, the charter flight thing is another thing that helps cheap owners like Jay Sugarman just stay afloat. You know, I think the more pressure the more pressure there is on that, the more it moves us forward in that department. Uh,
1: uh, Just before we move on to last thing, I have two two last thoughts on the charter flights. One is, I. So my understanding is that the union do use all four of their charter, allotted charters, um, every year. So the question is, you know, why wouldn't they use them for the Vancouver game, especially with the midweek game coming up? I think um, think Jonathan Tannewald on Twitter pointed out, and my first thought was this too, they have a midweek in San Jose in September yeah. sandwiched between two big Eastern Conference games. That will almost certainly be a charter. But then the question is, you know, what are they using the other legs on? Um, I don't know what the answer to that is, but I do find it hard to believe it's not anything other than than Vancouver. And, and, you know, the other thing is just uh, this is one of the interesting things about Ali Bedoya, who I find a really interesting player um, and an interesting personality in that I think his outspokenness can be really good, um, and I think this is a good example of his outspokenness. But I also think it bleeds over a lot into petulance Like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I wonder sometimes how much Bedoya's passion is, is
0: counterproductive. He did another one of those when Shibilko had that wide-open header that he tried to put on goal and he missed completely, and they were looking for him to head it back across. Um, like, I get it. You know, I'm with you. Those are bad. I mean, have, you, have, have you ever played
1: pickup soccer with guys like that who are like, you know, you take one bad touch and they're like screaming at you? That, that's the vibe I get from him.
0: It's yeah, true. yeah. i am I'm only like that when strikers uh, insist on having the ball, but they can't score. I think that's just a yeah. frustrating thing as a defender in general, but I don't think I try to do it on purpose to anybody, you know, but yeah, I agree with yeah. you, man. His body language sometimes is a little, I get the frustration, but sometimes when you're a captain, you just got to bottle it a little bit, you know, make it less apparent. Um, yeah. cause whether or not, like regardless of what it does for them on the field, it just looks bad from our perspective, you know? So, yeah. um, Okay, last one for you, and then I'll let you go. Um, so the question that I'm getting, like, over and over and over again uh, in the from fans, so I don't have to answer that ten times in the questions uh, segment. I'm going to ask you, and we're going to talk it over here. Uh, people want to know if this team is for real. Um, and I, I see a team that's in third place in the East, actually fourth if you go by PPG. Um, but they would be sixth in the West. And if you go PPG overall, they would be ninth in MLS. So I don't know if um, – I don't know if this team is a mirage or not. I think the Dallas win was a good win. You know, they beat a decent Columbus team that was missing some pieces. Uh, Montreal, obviously, was a comprehensive win. Uh, I think that the West is a lot better than the East, and I think that's affecting how we're viewing the Union. But uh, I don't know. You tell me if this team's for real.
1: You know, the simplest answer is also the cop-out answer, which is I don't think we have enough data.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Um, I
1: I mean, I do think that you're right that the – the East is weak and I think the East is also uh, you know you've got teams like Atlanta Red Bulls who and even New York City who are really off the pace from last year yeah um, and, and that's you know when those teams make their run uh, then I think you know we'll start to see what it is. What's interesting about the Union is their seasons generally have a pattern where, they start slow, they get hot in the summer, and then they collapse down the stretch.
0: Yeah, this is like the opposite of that.
1: Yeah, this is weird because they're starting hot. Um, you know, four wins in the first nine games you can't complain about. They can't score, but they're playing good defense. Um, I think you have to give credit to Ernst Tanner in particular because I think the off-season acquisitions have been terrific, especially a guy like you know Kai Wagner who everyone was like, who's this guy comes in and is one of the union's best players.
0: I know. I hated that signing, man. And uh, I was, I was wrong. A lot of people did. I was wrong. Yeah. A lot
1: of people did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're not even, you're not even getting the full Marco Fabian experience yet.
0: No. And Sergio Santos as well. So, but they've got five, no. of, they've got like five or six at home coming up. So I hate to be the dude who's like, well, they got to win now, but they kind of do. Because when you look at the back end of the schedule, you're like, ah, shit. So it's just important for them to pile up points now. It's kind of like in the, I've learned in the NBA that there's a lot of games that don't matter. But then yeah. you look at what the Sixers are now. They don't have home court advantage. And you think about what they could have done earlier in the season to help themselves. And I just think that's where the union are right now.
1: Well, and you've got, you know, this, this is one week to do it, right? You've got Cincinnati and the Rebs who are in 11th and 12th place in the East coming in. I think anything short of six points. There is probably um, a disappointment. I, I don't know. I you know. So I give credit to Tanner. I also I've been very very critical of Jim Curtin over the years, and I still sort of think he should have been fired after last season. That being said, uh, he's done a good job this year. Um, whether it's because he trusts his roster, or because Ernst Tanner has made it clear like you need to do things differently if you want to keep your job. Um, they've been you know the tactical flexibility has been there. They've used a lot of players he's trusting his roster. Um, the question is, you know, can he keep that going for a full season? Are they going to hit the point that the Union have hit so many times in the past, especially at the end of last season, where it was like, this is the thing the Union do. If you can stop them, if you can stop that thing, you're going to win. And that was the Open Cup Final. That was the two losses to New York at the end. Yeah. Um, and that happened in 2016, too, the last season, that they were really, you know, in the playoffs. So, Tend to agree. pile up points now. That way, you know you have a slump in August. It won't kill you. You know they, they're going to have their annual five games in the U.S. Open Cup before losing in the final. So you got to factor <laughs> that in too.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> so.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it is. Yeah, it is what it is. I think. When, I think when you brought up, you bring up the Open Cup. You bring up 2016. You bring up. Uh, last year, I think that's probably why people are still a little hesitant. You know, I mean, until they prove that they can win a playoff game, it's just going to be hard yeah. for people to get 100 percent on board. You know, but I think there's a there's a curiosity. Uh, I think the team's playing well enough that people are intrigued and they're paying attention. And uh, we'll see if they get over the hump. You know. Yeah. All right, Peter Andrews from the Philly Soccer Page. Uh, follow him on Twitter. It's at PF Andrews. Peter, thanks for coming on, man. Sorry it uh, it took me so long. Uh, to get you, a, I've always soccer debut, but uh, come on the podcast again sometime, all right?
1: Uh, thanks very much, Kev. Uh, I listen every week, and now it'll be weird to listen to my own voice. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. There you go. Thanks, brother. All right, we're going to get to your questions, comments, and concerns uh, shortly. Uh, just a couple little uh, w- one announcement. Well, it's not really an announcement. Uh, you saw I did new uh, artwork. For the podcast uh, obviously that was overdue Dave's name was still on the, the podcast as much as I love him as much as everybody loved him and we want him to be here in spirit I thought it was pretty silly that I still had Dave's name written on the on the logo the, the logo that I was using since 2016 so it was just time to change it you know so I decided to do something different like a goofy like little cartoon uh, Russ and I on Crossing Broadcast m- more than this podcast much more um, on that podcast we We always like spoof, like make fun of the cliche Philly blue collar, hardworking lunch pail, you know, fake tough guy thing that we talk about all the time on sports radio. So I was like, why don't I do a snake for the union imagery? I'm going to put a hard hat on his head. I'll give him some headphones. So he's listening to the podcast and he's got his briefcase. He's got a Brown paper bag lunch. You know, it's, it's the most hardworking blue collar Philly snake uh, that I could come up with, but of course, um, everybody was wondering why he didn't have any hands, why he didn't have any feet, why he didn't look more like Fang. So, um, yeah, my photoshopping skills are just kind of entry level. So maybe, maybe I can touch it up a little bit or whatever. But I hope people like the new cover. It was there are the new artwork. It was time to do something different. Um, I did write down more notes like while I was I, I actually sat down and watched the game and wrote notes by hand on a pad, which I never do. But I was just checking for poopy diapers and uh bottle feeding and watching soccer so i figured i could do it you know um a couple things that we didn't mention with peter on here um see montero double pivot i talked about that uh, but the yeah it always fascinates me how bedoya always finds a way to get open at the near post on those corner kicks um i don't know if it's just that people don't um people kind of underestimate his ability to, to wriggle free and to find space because he's not a big guy uh, but he always he's gets some flicks on and he gets some uh some good stuff in the near post. I don't think he touched that ball actually in the first half, um, but I think he distracted. I think he got in front of the his marker and he hit off of his marker and almost went a goal. Um, it's kind of like Dax McCarty in a way where he just uh, he finds he finds spaces on set pieces and he just knows where to be. I think that's veteran stuff that you can't really teach, you know. And he just sort of uh, knows where to be and feels his way around the box. Uh, Matt Fries, yeah, you know, I thought he was pretty good. He had like the one little miscommunication there with Ray Gaddis, I think, where Gaddis thought he was going to come out. Uh, Fries thought he was going to, that Gaddis was going to come back. Um, but he had a great save, a great kick save on that counterattack. Um, I thought he was pretty strong coming and claiming. Um, so I liked what I saw from him. Brandon Aronson looked, like, looked a little bit rushed, I thought, in this game. Uh, there was a couple balls that were played right to his feet where he looked like he just didn't have his legs with him. Uh, he lunged at one that kind of went almost right through his legs, that one on the corner of the box that you might remember. Um, he didn't have his greatest game. I thought in so it was okay. Uh, he hit one cross into side netting um he there's this amazing movement that the union had where they had a couple like pat they got like three or four passes and went right up the field and i think there was a great bedoya play in there too um and then he had a terrible touch wide open on the right flank where he just gave the ball right back to a defender and bedoya lost it a couple guys lost it i think um david akama I actually thought was okay I, like I, I think he has some good touches and some purpose going forward um I think Peter's right. I think sometimes it's harder harder for him to find the game, or sometimes he drifts in and out. But when he does get on the ball, I think he's got more of a clear intent to of what he wants to do, where he wants to go, how he wants to turn. Uh, which is I don't which I don't think you're seeing with Pico right now. I think if you could take Pico and a comm and combine them into one player right now, you'd have a really really good player because uh, one guy's strength is the other guy's weakness and vice versa. Um, Shaboka, we talked about um, the Tommy Smith meter. Um, yeah, Tommy was fine. Didn't really have any like big glaring mess ups that I noticed. Um, he called, Well, he talked about the Bedoya yellow card. He thought it was a fifty-fifty ball. It's not really a fifty. 50- I mean, if you're lunging and your studs are up like that, you're always going to get a yellow, obviously. And there was an early play in the game where uh, Jordy Reyna uh, fell down when the ball bounced off the turf and went over his head and Tommy thought he was looking for a foul but he's not he was, wasn't was looking for a foul there anybody who's played on shitty turf knows that sometimes you get those bad bounces or a ball's played behind you and there's nothing you can do about it uh you watch it go behind you or over your head and you just sort of like fall down because you got nothing else to do like you're not going to turn and pivot out of it so um JP actually had the biggest mistake in the broadcast he kept he kept saying uh R. Diaz, R. Diaz instead of uh, R. Dais. And somebody corrected him. Some a producer must have gotten his ear or something and said, hey, it's R. And so he said that twice and then he went back to saying R. Diaz. So I don't know. It was a tough one for him. But I thought the broadcast, I thought they did a pretty good job uh, the other day. All right. So let's get into Twitter here and see what y'all want to talk about. We had a variety of questions, some Game of Thrones stuff in there. Oh, I, I solicited Game of Thrones takes. So there you go. Uh, JM from the wonder years band. Uh, he said, how do you think the team feels about Bedoya pulling the curtain on travel, uh, pulling back the curtain on travel and low key talking shit via Instagram? I think the players love it. I think Jim Curtin secretly loves it because he himself was a player. He himself probably wishes Jay Sugarman spent more money. He probably took the issue a little bit seriously. I think they all love it. I think ownership is probably, you know, obviously not thrilled. But Jay, what's what's Jay Sugarman going to do? Like he's not going to tell his captain, hey, can you stop talking about that? They're not going to reprimand him. I think it's just like, well, he's got a big personality. He's going to say this stuff, you know, blah, 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 you know. I think secretly the coaching staff loves it, you know. Um, David Shea, uh, a couple players out for personal reasons. I kind of assume Ilsenio didn't go because of travel and turf care. Uh, or travel on turf, do you care to speculate or have any insight? Now nah, these are the kind of things I would know more about if I was still on the beat. But uh, Ilsenio, yeah, I mean, that would have been tough, flying him all the way to Vancouver and then playing him on turf for like 40 minutes, you know. Burke, I'm not sure. But uh, Ilsenio will be, will be uh, hopefully available off the bench on Wednesday and Saturday. Still the best sub, best sub in MLS by far. Um, Ed says, uh, does Sugarman use the four charter flights they're allowed? Yeah, they do. Uh, you'd think a West Coast trip would be the time to use one. I think what they do is they use them more towards the end of the year. I think they used one to Seattle. Um, I want to say they chartered to the Open Cup final uh, in Houston. And uh, I think it just probably makes sense to to save them for the end of the year where you have uh, cumulative uh, tiredness in the legs, you know, and, and you could really use those charter flights. I don't know. If you only got four, I don't know if you want to burn one in April. You know what I mean? Because you're going to have some some tough stuff, some more road games coming down the pike. Like I said, they have five of six at home now. So I don't know if you want to burn a charter flight right now and then when you're going to come home and have a bunch of legs anyway. You know, I think you got to save them. you got to value them, you know. Um, a Dave Zeitlin checking in. A bigger surprise, Grey Worm surviving the Battle of Winterfell or the Union possibly moving into first place Thursday. You know, I will say that I thought more people survived and if you if you haven't if you're not caught up on Game of Thrones, here's your spoiler uh warning. I'll count to count to five and you can turn off the podcast, all right. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, Game of Thrones spoilers. Yeah, I was surprised that as many people survived as they did. I I gotta say, I thought that some of this stuff where was like Brienne and Jamie and uh Podrick standing on, like, mounds of dead people and just killing everything coming their way. You know, it was a little corny. You know, they killed Jura. They killed uh, Ed. They killed, uh, you know, some other minor characters. But I honestly thought more people were going to go, you know. Um, So I guess I was more surprised by that. Uh, Robert Hopkins says, The bigger badass female, Lady Mormont or Arya Stark? A relatively untrained child rushing to sure death to kill an undead giant versus somebody who's been training for that one moment for several seasons. Yeah, it, it was interesting. If you watch the um, if you watch the credits and the little explainer after the episode, they said that uh, Leanna Mormont, I guess, was only supposed to be like a one scene character, but because that one scene was so popular, that they worked her into more of it. Uh, I thought that was badass. I thought the Arya thing was a little corny. Like she's just gonna walk past 10 White Walkers and jump at the Night King. I don't know. I I thought the episode was a little bit, I I thought it was really, really well done. I know people were complaining about like the vision and not being able to see stuff and that was too dark. Um, That I understand, that didn't really bother me too much, but I think I just was not really that invested in the Night King storyline. You know, a character that doesn't talk, his motives are kind of corny. Like, he just wants to kill everybody, you know. His origin story was, like, as a doomsday machine who turns on his creators. Like, whatever, okay? Like, we've seen that before. I always felt like Game of Thrones was at its best when it was developing strong characters and complicated, interchanging storylines and whatnot. And I just, like, didn't really get the zombie. It felt like I was watching Walking Dead a little bit last night. Yeah, you know, like I I'm not super into the zombie like I grew up like all you did playing like uh you know, Final Fantasy and, and Diablo and stuff like that. But I think one of the things about Game of Thrones was that all the fan high fantasy and like uh dragon, zombie shit on the side, like you still had like very strong storylines and character arcs and intriguing characters who you were invested in because they built them up uh with great writing, you know. And I just didn't something about the Night King storyline just like didn't really I just didn't feel invested in it. You know, I didn't really care about it. You know, I think they also dragged it on and on and on, you know. So I was just like, all right, can we get this over with, you know? Um, it's a shame because I thought the episode was really well done, you know? And let me just say something about the badass female thing. Like, I, you know, all these people come out and they want to write their, like, 10,000-word think pieces about, like, feminism and, like, you know, the future is female or whatever the fuck, right? So... Um, but I, I don't. I don't. I think that's out of place. I think that's misplaced for them to focus on that after an episode like last night. Because if you go back to the beginning of Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones has always been ahead of the curve in having really, really strong female characters. You know, Daenerys is arguably the most powerful person in the whole world. You know, Cersei is sitting on the Iron Throne right now. Um, I know when you juxtapose that with some of the things, some of the scenes where how they, uh, some of the scenes with Sansa and how they've treated women. Uh, in the storyline over the years i could see how how you might be able to counter that but um i always feel like they've they've the, the game of thrones writers have always done a really good job with that of having a good balance of like strong um, female characters strong male characters um you know a lot of di- not i mean there's not a, as much diversity maybe as you you would be looking for but they wrote some stuff in the grey worm storyline as well i think um yeah i don't know i just it's always interesting how how some people seem to default um, to that they want to make it about some big social thing when I think honestly like Game of Thrones had done a really good job um, of all of that over the years you know um, okay anyway, that's enough enough sorry I just went on a Game of Thrones uh, tangent there for uh, for whatever reason um, Jeff wants to know about the personal reasons that kept El and Burke out of the Vancouver game were they visa related yeah I don't know I don't I don't think Corey has any visa issues um, I don't know why he would and El I don't think has any visa issues so um, PA Bias says, did Ernie Stewart intentionally lower the expectation bar so that anything good coming out of this franchise would make him the hero? Um, in the end, it seems like Ernie was holding them back, especially Curtin. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Again, we, we've said before, and Ernie is on the record saying that like he, he didn't make Jim play any specific style or any kind of um, formation or anything like that. Yeah, you know, the the way it goes is that Jim wanted to play four, two, three, one and that's what he told Ernie and that they, they were fine with that. Um but yeah, I think some of the comments that Ernie made early in his tenure, you know, the conversations that he and I had where he said, Well, you know, these guys can't even learn one formation, right? Or how he kinda dumbed down the team and made it seem like they weren't capable of doing certain things um you know it was like a training wheels kind of thing you know but i think because lowering i think lowering the expectations helped him specifically because i think he always knew this was just a a stepping stone to a bigger job you know so he was always going to build his union resume on the academy and like the back end kind of stuff with the franchise it wasn't necessarily about wins or losses um and that was a safe way for him to to keep his standing for when that U.S. soccer job became open, you know. Don't get me wrong, I think Ernie did some really good things here, but, um, you know, Ernst has been uh, more inspiring so far, I think. Although you do have to remember, I think people forget, like, Ernie did bring in Dochkal. Uh, Madunian was a good signing. Um, so some of the stuff that happened at the back end of Ernie's tenure, I think people kind of forget about, you know, because I think we had soured on him by that by the time that stuff came around. Uh, Gonzalez says, we have enough data points to say whether we're good or just good against mediocre opposition, Cincinnati and new England should be an easy six points. How do you expect we fare against Toronto? Yeah, I think they get six out of the next ones. I think they can, I think they can scrape a draw on Toronto. Uh, this Pozuelo guy is the real deal, man. Um, I, I don't, again, I don't know. I just, I feel like we always talk about Dave and I would always talk about, you know, if the union are going to be in the top four, who comes out? You know, it's not that we didn't think the union had the talent. We do think they have the talent, but I just never – see you never see Atlanta, Toronto, uh, New York, and New York com- coming out of the top, but they're all having bad years, you know. I, I honestly – like, I don't want to be negative about it, but I just think it's – I think the East is not that great. The union, to their credit, have filled the void. Um, you know, and if those teams – if the cream starts to rise to the top again talent-wise, I think that those teams can overtake the union, you know. So I think it's a combination of that. I don't think the East is that great. I think the, top, the teams that have historically been the best in the East are not good this year. Um, but the Union are doing exactly what they're supposed to do, you know. You fill the gap uh, and make those teams chase you. And I, th- I think that's the unique perspective that we have this year that we haven't had over the last couple of years, you know. Make them chase you. Uh, Man On says, Mbaizo looked raw. I read someone say otherwise, but it seemed to me that Kai could have really helped that game. You think they pulled two wins with him back in the lineup this week? Yeah, you know there was at least three or four occasions where they gave Ray that flank, and he's just not—he's just not going to put the ball on his left foot and drive a ball in, you know. Um, for a time there, I actually thought Fabinho might have been a decent sub, um, but then Ray, of course, had the goal line clearance. So go figure, you know. Um, and Baizo looked like he was being conservative. Uh, I don't think he wanted to get caught too far forward. Uh, but I, there was there were some attacks that they had in the second half. They were just really, really narrow, um, where everything was clumped in the middle. And because they weren't getting much out of their fullbacks, I think that's why Shabilko you know, he really didn't get a lot of service, didn't get many balls on his head. Um, and, again, it's telling that they would go with a right-footed Ray Gattis at left back instead of giving Matt Real a start. So we'll see if that changes on Wednesday. Uh, Sean Day says, are we going to get a home playoff game this year? I still say no. So I said at the beginning of the year, so I'll stick to it. Uh, Union Report says, thoughts on um, Union's biggest offseason acquisitions of Fabian and Santos. Too early to judge. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, remember, everybody's just got to remember that Doge call started off slow last year, too. Santos, man, I, it's been disappointing because I feel like there's a job for him, you know. Um, paid $500,000 for him. I want to see him on the field. What I, the, the little I did see of him, I kind of liked, you know. Um, because I, I just think you know, again, I think a Com and Pico do have some redundancy in their game. Even though I talked about that strength weakness kind of thing, um, I still I, I think if you, I think I'm giving you the same answer I gave you the last couple of weeks. If you give me my choice, I think I'd like to see Santos and a Com up top. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, Captain Penguin says the fact they did the whole thing at night uh, was the biggest waste of sixty two million dollars ever. He's talking about Game of Thrones. Uh, most televisions, even newer HDTVs, don't handle true black or dark backgrounds well, so you couldn't see half of what was going on. And then to make it worse, they throw a snowstorm in. Yeah, you know, the the thing, I, I think the most annoying part of that episode was when the dragons were just flying through the fog. Like, we, we got that shot like ten times, and it was, you only needed to see that once or twice. Okay, Daenerys and Jon are flying through the clouds on dragons and they can't see all right we got the like we got the point the first time you know so um Christo says according to 538 the union are the third best team in the league is that accurate no no I don't trust 538 one bit um I don't I don't like I don't like polls and, and uh, extrapolations and data and stuff like that you know I don't, I don't soccer is about the eye test more than anything you know just my opinion uh joe says you're manning the wall at winterfell you have a union player of of your choice to your left and right to survive the night who do you pick and why man that's a good question um well i think naturally you got to go defense and goalkeeper here you know because you're you're holding down the fort literally and figuratively um Andre Blake would be good. I, I like Fareed Mondragon, actually. I was not a big fan of him as a person, but I think he was very, very good at organizing. I think he would have been a good person to organize uh, my left side, the left flank, if I was the uh, commander here. And on the right side, I'll go with uh, I'll go with 2011 uh, Danny Califf because he was on a tear that year, just basically demolished anything that came his way. So I'm going to put... It'll be the battle of Winterfell. It'll be Kincaid in the middle. It'll be Baxter up front. Baxter will lead the charge, and then we'll have uh, Fareed Mondragon on the left and Danny Califf on the right. Um, Eric says, "Most surprising thing about having a baby, and what's her favorite Wu Tang album?" <laughs> I haven't like, I haven't really exposed her to a lot of music yet. I played, uh, I was listening to rock on my phone the other day and a Budgie song. Uh, came on so I played that for her Um, that was her first rock and roll song that she heard the most surprising thing about having a baby Um, I don't know you know it's funny I I always heard this line that people would tell me they say uh, god how did it go they would say like being a dad or being a parent brings out the best in you I think that's how they said it or it makes you want to be like the best version of yourself and um, I never really understood what that meant necessarily because I always felt like you should always like, probably try to be that anyway, you know? Like, why, why does having a kid mean more than that? You know, like, she should try to be a decent person, uh, be nice to people, you know, help your neighbor out, pick up the damn trash on the sidewalk, you know, after uh, the Philly uh, waste management comes through and they fail to collect everything. Um but yeah I don't know it's just like you you it gives you pers- being a parent gives you perspective on things that like really matter and things that don't matter uh you know like I have actually absolutely zero interest in like uh going to the bar not that I ever really was a big person like that but it's just like okay I'm I'm home you know I got my dog I got my wife I got to take care of it. I got my kid I got to take care of like these are your priorities you know like all this other shit doesn't matter <laughs> you know, and like it never really did matter. <clears throat> but I think it's just a good like being a parent is a good ground has a good grounding effect on you. You know, it's just very easy to see things that matter and things that are just bullshit and aren't worth your time. You know. Uh, Teppo's dad says, "Are the union good?" Uh, winter came and it wasn't worth the build-up. I agree uh, with that. Are the union good? I think the jury's still out on that. Um, let me see. Johnny asked a question we already answered. Sorry, man uh kevin says montero aronson and fabian who's the odd man out uh assume are you talking about the diamond i'm assuming i think aronson's the odd man out i mean make a case for me make a case for me that aronson should start over fabian at the tip if they're all healthy you know it's to me it's still montero bedoya fabian and madunian you know and aronson could be a great bench piece you know uh, Mike says, are you going to be one of those people that refers to Baxter as a big brother? Uh, congrats again. Uh, yeah, we've, me and my wife have made some comments like that, you know. He's been actually very well-behaved. i got to give Baxter a shout-out on his podcast. Um, he's doing a lot of sniffing. He likes to sniff the baby, um, and he um, – I don't know if any of you guys who have kids and dogs have noticed this or noticed this, like, right away, but it feels like he's being, like, a uh, – <clears throat> God, how would I describe it? It feels like he's being, like, a like protective of the baby. Like, he'll follow the baby. Like, wherever we take the baby, he'll follow it around, and he'll, like, lay down next to it. Like, he's guarding it or something. Like, he's a big, bad dire wolf. When, in fact, he's just a Labrador pointer mix. Um, Cullen says, I know you always comment that you don't get trophies for starting your kids, and I agree. However, the idea... Uh, is starting these young kids, or starting these kids young, increases their eventual upside over time, getting you a trophy. Just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, no, man, that's fair. That's a good comment. I, yeah, to reiterate, like I just, I think it goes hand in hand with the IAX thing. I, I don't like, t- I don't like people telling me that this is the right way to do it and this is the wrong way to do it. You know, I, I, don't feel like putting eight kids on the field really helps anybody. I like, I like how the union are doing it. You know, you've got Aronson out there, you've got Trusty out there. Um, you've got a couple homegrown's on the bench. Uh, you know, I, I like that it's a mix of that. You know, and I think that's always what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a blend. You know, some foreign superstars, um, a couple decent TAM signings, grab some guys through the draft, uh, bring some kids through your academy. You know, mix and match. I think that's a, that's the best way to do it. You know, I just think we're so desperate to have good young American talent come through the pipelines that if any of them does anything that could be re- remotely be correct, we're like, oh yeah, rah rah, this guy's the next biggest thing. I just don't, I don't. Like I was saying to Peter, I don't think that helps us at all, you know. I don't think that does us a service, you know. Uh, John says, should Trusty sit if McKenzie is healthy? He's played poorly the past few games and might be a good time for rotation. Yeah, it's interesting, I think, because McKenzie plays on the right and Elliot plays on the right, too. So, I, I you know, if you put Elliot on the left, you know, he's not going to be – he's not going to pass the ball as well as he does. Uh, McKenzie on the left, I'm not really sure. I don't remember how much of that he played last year, but – Um, I've said before, I I don't really, to me, it doesn't really center back, uh, playing on the right or the left. It doesn't bother me that much, but obviously I didn't play at an important level. All I can say is like, I, I like playing on my right. I like playing on the right side because I'm right footed. And if a, if a attacker's coming at me and I get flushed and I'm pushing the ball out of danger to the sidelines, I can drive the ball with my right foot on my strong foot to the sidelines. You know, if I'm on the other side, uh, and uh, somebody's pressing me, or if I have to move to my left, I'm not as comfortable driving the ball up the field on my weak foot if I'm playing left-center back. So I would always like to play right-center back versus left-center back. Um, changes the angles of your diagonals and stuff like that, too. And and Jack Elliott's a good passer, so um, that's something to look for if they do do that. Uh, Rich says, is Jamiro uh, very, very skilled or have these first few starts been an illusion? Uh, his shiftiness and his patience reminds me of Nogueira. Yeah, it does a little bit, especially the – areas that he occupies. He likes to sit to the left of the defensive midfielder, which is typically what a number eight does. Um, so if if the center back split a little back, in, split a little bit, Medunian drops kind of in between them, not right between them, but in an area above them and kind of between them, then Montero will go to one side or the other of Madunian. Um And he does have a really low center of gravity. You know, he shifts and he turns really well. You guys who all watch Vincent O'Gara know that he had, he had like, one of the best chop turns, one of the best outside of the right foot chop turn pirouettes that I've ever seen um, really like some jabby Alonso Liverpool kind of stuff Montero um, I don't ha, obviously does not have Noguera's passing range, but he does seem to do good closer to the closer to the field He's just a small guy, really shifty, really tight on the ball um, I think he's a really good player uh, Gonzalez says should curtain rotate guys between this week's two matches or go 180 with the majority at home. Uh, and send less starters away to TFC the following Saturday yeah I mean I would play for the six points at home and then f- and run the guys into the ground and then figure it out for TFC the next Saturday that's what I would do uh fear and loathing in Chester says does Fabian start it forward when he comes back to 100% if not who's the odd man out in the midfield no I, I mean I think I'm still putting him at the 10 and putting Aronson on the bench I mean, like I said, I did want to see more of that of what we saw in the LA game. I don't we don't have enough of a sample size to know if it worked or not. But I mean if you're giving me the choice, I, I still want to see Santos in a com. So Um Does McKenzie get a start? Christian says does McKenzie get a start? But got a lot of questions say. Uh does McKenzie get a start before he leaves for the World Cup? Also, Brand Stark is overrated. That's like watching Harris po- pointing out people he should have marked. Yeah, Brand didn't really do shit. He just sat there. Um, he, like, warged into uh, some Ravens. But he could have, like, why didn't he just warg into the, one of the Dragons? I mean, come on, dude. Um, yeah, I think McKenzie does get a start before the World Cup. Yeah, So much for that being a huge issue, right? Remember all that bullshit? That we, me and uh, Brian Brian Shredder were talking about that. Like, oh, my God, are they going to release him or not? And then what happens, you know? So, um, Johnny Burke, no relation to Corey, says, Jim should play Montero every game in the eight. Yeah. Um, until he makes a mistake because he's been very consistent in my opinion and deserves more starts. I'll also try McKenzie and Trusty at the back during a home game against lesser competition uh, lesser opposition, we want to see how they combine. Um yeah, I mean they played well together last year for sure. I think Austin's gotta be more physical, you know. I, I just don't think taking Austin out right now really helps that, you know. I and mean, how does that help him get better? You know, I, th- I think that pair's been I think they've still been solid enough back there, but um Jack Elliott's been the best center back on the team this year you know, convince me otherwise, <laughs> you know, so as much talk as there was for trusty McKenzie, you know, um, fourth round draft pick out of West by God, Virginia, uh, has been the best, uh, center back of the group, you know, that's even with Aurelian Colin in there too. So, all right. About one hour on the dot. Thanks for listening everybody. First podcast, uh, since having the child, uh, which is a win in itself because everybody told me that my life was going to be over yet. Here I am talking to you all. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Episode 70, whatever, uh, on behalf of Baxter and Cameron.
2: Have a good one.